Welcome to the 15 past 15 podcast. Our guest today is Pablo Blitzstein, Associate Professor at the School for Advanced Studies and Social Sciences in France. Pablo, thank you for being with us. So you've recently, or actually for quite a while, been working on the Renaissance. Why is there still so much to say about the Renaissance? Okay, yeah, the Renaissance uh, still keeps so many people busy because um, it's a keyword of historiographical vocabulary. Many people still talk about the Renaissance as if there was one single miraculous event in uh, early modern Europe, which uh, seemed to have set the agenda of the following centuries, first in Europe and then in the rest of the world. That's why the, the topic remains uh, something that keeps people busy. But then what exactly is this Renaissance? Well, I, I, the, the thing is that in my work, I try not to uh, say what Renaissance means to me, because I think that we are at a stage in which we can uh, discuss what other people think the Renaissance is and try to get rid of this uh, first, on, on the one hand, uh, the idea that uh, the Renaissance is a unique event in world history, but also get rid of the idea that uh, the Renaissance is something uh, you can find in many different places, as those who talk about the multiple Renaissances assume. Can you specify what you mean by unique event in history? Yes, uh, there are some historians, I think it's a narrative which is becoming uh, less important, less trendy in, in our academic world, but it's still important. Many scholars still think that this Renaissance was something that happened in Europe between, the, the, some people say, the, 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 the 12th and the 14th century, others go to the 16th century, and that uh, set this uh, agenda and this exceptional agenda that characterized European history, Italian and European history, and through that, the, the whole world. I think it's all related to this idea of European exceptionality. And you are argue against this? Well, I, I don't think the, the Europe, European history or the, differ, the different historical trajectories in Europe are exceptional, at least not more exceptional than any other historical trajectory in the world. Of course, what happened in Italy in the 14th to the 15th, 16th century are things which are exceptional in the sense that events in history are unique, all of them. On the other hand, the question is for people who stick to this idea that uh, the Renaissance is unique, there's the idea that this difference in European history patterns are the ones that explain some moral or technological or material superiority of uh, Europe till today. And that's why it's still uh, such a such a key, such an important keyword in historiographical vocabulary. Okay, so many of us involved in in this project in this podcast are interested in East Asia. So if if I follow what you're saying, methodologically, what we should be doing is saying there is this unique historical event in Europe, and if we want to expand that framework and think globally then all we need to do is identify the characteristics of that event. It was to do with looking to the past, artistic enlightenment, uh, a certain amount of urbanization, et cetera, et cetera. And then we apply those characteristics to elsewhere in the world. And we say, 
does China have these characteristics? And if the answer is yes, we say there's a Chinese Renaissance. And if the answer is no, we say there isn't Chinese Renaissance. That's a correct methodology, or do you have a problem with that? Yeah, that's precisely the multi, what I call the multiple Renaissances thesis. It's an old idea in, um, that comes at least from the, the 1920s. But um, the problem with this idea is that to get rid of the, the other Eurocentric perspective on the Renaissance takes the particular features that uh, were defined as part of the Renaissance, create an ideal type of what the Renaissance is or should be, and then transpose it into different groups, different uh, nations or civilizations to claim that uh, China, that uh, Japan, that uh, different parts of the Islamic world and so on had their own renaissances just like the West. Now, the problem with this uh, thesis, I think, is that first, it cannot get rid of a Eurocentric perspective because the model for the renaissance is the, West, the Western developments between the 14th and 16th century, most of the times. There are many definitions of what the Renaissance is, but the multiple Renaissances thesis always starts with this definition. And they start with the definition because uh, they also follow an old trend, uh, an old tradition in, since the 19th century in European for, uh, historiography on the Renaissance, which takes this concept of Renaissance not as just an event that happened somewhere, as it used to be the case when, when someone said Renaissance in the, in the 1820s in France. When they said at that time Renaissance, they would mean, yeah, that time which saw the Renaissance of letters and art from the classical antiquity. That's what they meant. Later on, in the second half of the 19th century, we find Burkhardt, we find, we find Michelet, slightly before, Walter Pater. They take the Renaissance not just as something, as an event that happened, or things that happened in a particular period, but as an ideal type of society, which can be defined. And when the, uh, so, for example, you say it's the time of the discovery of the individual, the time of the creation of a modern state, and many other features. And then later scholars who developed this multiple renaissances thesis took many of these features to say, well, but China, there was a modern state in China too, or there was a revival of letters or of vernacular languages in China too. That's why China had a renaissance. So now I'm a bit confused, because I thought that uh, you know, this was the way that we did history, is we make ideal types. The classic case is modernity. You list up modernity means urbanization, uh, rise in rates of literacy, uh, industrialization, and so on. And we, we make this neutral ideal type, and then we apply it across the world. But you're saying that kind of methodology is wrong, are you? I'm not saying that ideal types are wrong. Well, the important thing for a historian is to remember that these are ideal types, and not forget that the actual historical developments might be slightly different from these ideal types. So when someone says that there were revivals of vernacular languages in Chinese history, that's not wrong. It's just that I don't see why we should call that Renaissance as a particular or a form of a de historical development. And how should we call it? Well, I think we shouldn't 
I don't want to be normative about these issues. I'm not saying don't use Renaissance, use Renaissance. It depends on the rhetoric of the historian regarding what he's talking about. The problem for me is when, precisely when there is a normative approach towards the way we use this word Renaissance. And both the multiple Renaissance thesis and the idea that the Renaissance is a unique event in world history which happened in Europe, both theses tend to be normative in the way we should use the Renaissance. And precisely because they think that that's a set of particular social or cultural features that can be found together in different societies. All right, great. So I, I, I guess I understand now that you're trying to say that the Renaissance is a unique event in Europe, which we can use as an analytical framework for elsewhere in the world is a problem. And equally, the sort of multiple Renaissances framework, which is based on an ideal type or what you call a, a normative type, that's also a problem. Is there some way out of this? The only way out of all that is to do history and not ideal types, <laughs> which comes from historical sociology. We all need ideal types when we work, we typify our concepts, but then we put them into question when we confront them to our historical material. And that's the middle way. And what if the actors themselves in Bengal, for example, or Harlem, or uh, 20th century China, are using the term Renaissance? What do we do in that situation? The actors used it. So we have to understand why they used it, and it should be part of our historiography too, as the language of all the actors we, we study as historians. In those cases, Harlem Renaissance, 1920s, it's a Harlem Renaissance, and I would have no problem to keep that label for that movement. It's, it's not to us to say they didn't have the right to use the Renaissance, and I think it's not, it's not even a historical question. Now, you wonder whether I will try to find Renaissances everywhere today. I think we, we won't do that. And the Renaissance, the, the Renaissance, just like many other, I would say, modernist uh, discourses, and teleological discourses have been so criticized in the last decades that we cannot go back to these ways of using these keywords of modernist discourse. But isn't there a much broader terminological layer to Renaissance. I remember one of the first times that I questioned the meaning of Renaissance as something more than the unique European event was when I came across the many Renaissance Studies Institute in America. And I thought people were studying about the art there until I noticed that the topics they approach are the topics we in Europe would call early modern European history. Yeah, and that, well, that, that's a different question. As I said, we have a lot of history writing which has been made under certain labels. Labels which are book titles, which are departments, and those things we've learned with them. We are not here to say, oh, re the Rena Renaissance studies were wrong because they, didn't, they thought that it was unique or because, because it was built on the assumption that it was a unique European development or that the multiple Renaissance thesis has no value because they, 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 sub they created these civilizational or national units to say that Renaissances were everywhere. 
there are lots of valuable contributions in those historiographies. Now we, we are here, we are discussing in a new framework, we are reflecting on our ways of doing historiography, and we come to this problem, to this juncture in which we have people talking about the unique Renaissance, other people talking about multiple Renaissances, and others who say, let's just keep it open and see what comes from historiographical, actual historiographical research. And would you agree then that this increased talking about the Renaissance is a way to avoid talking about modernity? Well, it's a way of talking about, it's been a way of talking about modernity and especially in the non-European world. In this context in which people were using the Renaissance to, actually most of them modernists, even when they were conservatives, where they had modernist assumptions in the sense that every nation or every civilization or culture needs a Renaissance to become like Europe or to become like modern, depending on the perspective, that has been a, a fundamental assumption in the ways this Renaissance and the, the European reference of the Renaissance has been used in the non-European world. So can you just give us an example from your own work? Put it short, there's a, a key figure in the 1910s and 1920s in China who is called Hu Shi, a, a professor at Peking University, who um, gave a series of lectures published later in the 1930s as the Chinese Renaissance. And his idea was that any nation should go through a Renaissance before getting into modernity. So you see the two terms, modernity and Renaissance, were intimately linked. I suppose to go back to Birgit's first question where she said books about the Renaissance are now very popular again, particularly in Europe. If one was being controversial, could you say this is an attempt by uh, some historians and politicians to claim that Europe is still absolutely central to the story of modernity because perhaps they worry that really the center of the world is shifting to East Asia, or is that just being too controversial? It is the case of some. In other cases, in the 1920s, people who claim about the exceptionality of the Renaissance used it to say that the West was declining. And that's an, interest, an interesting development in the claims about the exceptionality of the West. So I think one has to take a close look at how they are shaping the, the idea of the Renaissance in their own works. Then we're looking forward to read more about it. Thank you very much. Thanks to you.